Judge. Judge Ryan. What's it, Ryan? Ryan Hold? Ryan Field? I remember him. He used to go around and sing. He sung it for us at the jail. And when he sung it, I thought, well, that's my life he's singing about. And uh, I want to share a verse with you. The name of the song is The Old Man is Dead. Um, Therefore, if anyone in Christ is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has become. And when he sung this song that night, I said, he's singing about my life, because that's, that's what happened to me. So, the old man is dead. Ma'am? Now and then an old friend of mine I haven't seen for some time Will stop by and ask me Where have I been? What's on my mind? He wonders why I'm not drinking Still painting this old town red I tell him I'm serving Jesus now And the old man is dead And the man you see before you they look a lot the same I may wear the same clothes Have the same old name But you're looking on the outside You can see inside instead You would see a brand new man Cause the old man is dead I used to live such a wicked life Had no hope in sight Wandered through the darkness Searching for a light Then one night in a little church after hearing what the preacher said I gave my life to Jesus And the old man was dead And the man you see before you 
look a lot the same I may wear the same clothes Have the same old name But you're looking on the outside You can see inside instead You would see a brand new man Cause the old man is dead Oh, you're looking on the outside You can see inside instead You would see a brand new man Cause the old man is dead Thank you, Jesus. If you have your Bibles this morning, of all places, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Ever heard that verse before? <laughs> Just a few minutes ago if you're paying attention, right? Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We've been in a series called Unstuck on Sunday mornings. It's easy to get stuck in your life, kind of get caught in a place in your prayer life, get caught in a place in your Bible study, caught in a place in your family life, emotional life, church life, where you just, you feel like you're a little bit stuck. And so we've been talking about how to get unstuck. And we started off by saying a lot of times it takes a small yes. You got to say yes to something. Once you say, and we call it a micro yes. Once you say yes to something, then that area, well, you're moving now. At least you're not stuck anymore. You are moving. And then we talked about that this is not behavior modification, it's spiritual transformation. I'm not talking about just trying to change our outside, but that God would change our hearts. And so that means we need to have a spiritual why. Why do I want to get unstuck? And hopefully that's tied to I want to honor God, I want to love God, I want to please God, become more like Christ. You've got to have a, a spiritual why and a spiritual how, and that how is habits. If, you go on, if you're stuck, you need to develop some new habits where you'll keep growing. And the Holy Spirit, we looked at walking by the Spirit. The Spirit is the one who enables us to live out those habits that God wants us to have. And so this morning, I, I pray that uh, you have, through this series, identified an area where uh, maybe you've been stuck a little bit, or maybe you weren't stuck but needed to grow some more, surrendered that to Jesus, and uh, found a new habit or two, and uh, God has kind of got you unstuck and you're starting to grow. And I want to uh, end up the series right here in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 17. As always, we are greeting our Facebook listeners. Thank you guys for paying attention and coming and worshiping with us this morning. We, we miss you when you're not here. Love to have you here when you can get back, but we're glad that you can tune in this way today. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. Everybody say new creation. Boy, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And so when we give our heart and life to Jesus, we become new creations. And, and as I talk this morning, really I'm talking about people who've been saved, okay? Uh, not necessarily just that you said a prayer one time or that you were baptized because somebody else thought you needed to be baptized or you thought your parents would be proud of you if you got baptized. What I'm talking about 
genuine, heartfelt belief in Jesus, where you realize and were convicted that you were a sinner and that uh, you weren't good enough, you could never be good enough, you couldn't earn your way in, but uh, you, you just saw that Jesus did it for you. <laughs> you didn't have to do it yourself, but Jesus died in your place, rose again, and you got uh, in a position where you either sat down, nailed down, knelt down, or somehow, and you said, Lord Jesus, I just am a sinner, and I need you. And you ask Christ to come into your life and you're saved. And that's that new creation. And this morning what I want to talk about is as we think about this new creation, even as new creations, we get stuck sometimes. I heard about a, some folks on a roller coaster and they were riding the roller coaster and uh, inclement weather came in so they had to stop it and they stopped it right at the top of the loop with 18 people hanging upside down. <laughs> it seemed like you could do a little one more loop, right? <laughs> uh, they were all fine. Six did have to go to the hospital. They may not have said they were fine. Six did have to go to the hospital, but they were stuck. I was listening to a guy being interviewed this last week, about two weeks ago, and I actually had uh, seen this guy uh, last year during football season. He's uh, about 23 years old. His name's Cameron Dicker, and uh, he was a high school um, field goal kicker, and uh, he's trying to break into the pros, and uh, he had had some, um, he's had a tough time of it. He's been with several different teams, kind of bounced around. He's made the team, was cut. They worked him out, and uh, Laura and I were watching one night, and he, this team had had an injury to their kicker, and uh, they had this guy sign Cameron, and so uh, it was so funny because at the end of the game, it was a situation where he had to come out and try to kick the winning field goal. And half the people on the sideline didn't even know who he was. And they showed some footage from the sideline. They're like, who's this guy? And somebody said, he's Dicker the kicker. <laughs> and so I could see the sideline. They were just having a hoot over it. Guy's like, he kicks his field goal and make it. I'll call him whatever he wants to make, whatever he wants me to call him. And he did. He made it. He made it. He made the field goal. And so I was listening to him being interviewed. I did not know when we saw that last year that he's actually a follower of Jesus. Uh, became a Christian when he was in college. And, uh, and so the guy was interviewing him, and he was asking him, he said, man, that's a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure on you when uh, he had like six or seven teams work him out last year, come in, work out, kick for two or three different teams while their kicker was hurt, and then he'd get cut, and their regular kicker come back in. And he said, man, you're, you're in a situation where, uh, even this last year, where sometimes the game is down to your kick, and you don't even know half the people that are around you. You're on national TV. He said, how do you deal with the pressure? And he said, to be honest with you, he said, there's a lot of pressure. He said, I try, just to, I try not to think about anything. I try just to think about the kick. He said, but, he said, if I make it or if I miss it, my family's still going to love me. My friends are still going to love me. And since I come to know God, he's the most loving person in my life. And he said, actually, as far as my immediate life's concerned, nothing's really going to change that much. If he looks at social media, it'll change. <laughs> but he said, yeah, really for me, uh, you know, I'm focused on becoming who God wants me uh, to become. And he said, you know, then this past year, he said, you know, I've been cut, traded, you know, all this stuff going on. He's with the Chargers now. He's hoping he'll stay there this year. He said, but during the slack time, I mean, he's on a, he's kicking a win, game-winning field goal one week, and at the end of the week, he's back home. He doesn't have, he doesn't have a team. And he said, during that slack time, he said, I got several friends. We get together and we do Bible study. Uh, my girlfriend's a real encouragement, real spiritual help. My family's a real spiritual help. And he said, I just try to focus on who God wants me to be. 
And I feel like if I focus on who God wants me to be, then how can I complain about that? And he and the interviewer come together. And this is what I love what he said. He said, when you know who you are and where your identity is as a child of God, not as a football player, not as a kicker, not as an electrician, not as a teacher, not as a nurse, uh, not as anything else, you know, not as necessarily something uh, which you do, an athlete or whatever, but when you know your identity is as a child of God, he said, then you know you're going to be okay. In fact, he said they have one team he played for, the team chaplain will come up to him every game before the game and say, Cameron, he said, no matter what happens on the field today, buddy, I'm going to love you. And he said he said it to him so much. It might have been his college ch chaplain. He said he said it to him so much that he would come up to him and say, Cameron, you know what I'm going to say. He's like, you love me no matter what. <laughs> He's like, it doesn't matter whatever else happens today, that I will always love you. He said, it's so, he said, but my identity is in Christ. I see myself as a new creation, a Jesus follower. My purpose is to honor him, to love him, to help some other people love him. He said, it just frees me up to live the life God wants me to live. And so that's what I want us to focus on today, that your identity, if you're Christian, as I said oh, a minute ago, this means genuinely that you're saved. Genuinely you have a, a real relationship with Christ. Then your identity, your primary identity in life is that you are a child of God. Everybody say child of God. So that's what we want to focus on this morning. We want to focus on that, looking at our identity and saying, this is who God is making me. God has made me his child, and he's making me more like him. He's transforming my life through the spirit, through the words, the church, and things like that. And what I want us to drill down on today is why we do things. There are a lot of secondary reasons why you do things. You do some things because you feel obligated. Uh, you may be at church this morning because you feel obligated, feel like you're supposed to be here, so you're obligated, so you come. Uh, other things you do because you feel like your friends want you to do it. And other things you do because you want to be liked, you want to be accepted. Uh, other things you do, just you want to do them. It's not what you want to do. But there's a primary reason why you do things. And as a Christian, the primary reason why we should do things is because we love God. Okay, because we love Christ, because Christ is at the center of our life. And, and, but there's another primary reason that's very, very connected to this. Craig Rochelle said it this way, you do what you do because of what you think of you. You do what you do because of what you think of you. The biggest thought you ever have is what you think of God. I believe possibly the second biggest thought you ever think is, what do you think of you? Are you a new creation in Christ? Are you someone who's being transformed into the likeness of Jesus? Are you someone whose name's written in the Lamb's book of life and that you're sure for heaven as if you're already there? Or do you see yourself as goof up? Somebody could never do anything right. Somebody who always gets it wrong. Somebody who just not cut out for the spiritual thing. Listen, guys, if you think of yourself as a failure, you can't do anything right, primarily kind of God's kind of disappointed in you because you're not doing very good spiritually. If you think of yourself that way, it's going to affect how you live. You do what you do because of what you think of you. And so let me talk about two big applications of this. Two big applications 
of who we are in Christ and of thinking, first of all, of God and who God is, getting God's character right. We've talked a lot about that. But secondly, talking about who you are. What do you think of you? First of all, the importance of our identity. When we think of well, how we think of who we are and who we think we are is going to impact how we act. It's going to impact whether we're stuck or unstuck. If I think of myself as somebody that's in process, man, God's at work. God's doing some things. God's at work. Surely I, I, I miss him sometimes. I disobey, but, I, but God's at work. And the work he started, he is going to complete in me. If I see myself that way as opposed to, and I'll probably foul it up again this week. I'm probably going to chicken out next time I get a chance to share my faith. If I think of myself that way, it's going to impact how I live. I heard about a preschool teacher. Uh, she got a new office job. Well, she taught preschool for years. And, you know, she kind of thought of herself as a preschool teacher. And she said it took her a couple of months of being in the office job when somebody went to the restroom and they came out for her not to say, did you wash your hands? <laughs> it's a preschool teacher. That's what she's used to doing. Well, how, how do you think of yourself? And I'm not talking about positive thinking. I'm trying to think about bolstering your self-image. I'm talking about thinking about you the way God thinks about you. It's thinking the way God thinks. One psychologist said it this way. He said, we make decisions every day, and there are three questions that we subconsciously ask ourselves without knowing it. Three questions that kind of run in the background uh, that kind of determines how we live. Number one, what kind of person am I? What kind of person? What's my identity? Secondly, what kind of situation is this? And thirdly, what does someone like me do in a situation like this? And I'm going to work that out for you so you can kind of see what I'm talking about. These are running in the background. It's kind of your subconscious. You're sitting in class. You're taking a test. School starts this week for some of y'all. Some of y'all started last week. College starts for some of y'all this week or the following week. Sitting in class, taking a test. You don't know the answer, but a guy next to you knows the answer. You could probably see it if you look real hard right over there. So what kind of person are you? Are you the kind of person that values their integrity or the kind of person that's willing to compromise your integrity for the right answer? What kind of situation is this? Is this the kind of situation where it doesn't matter how I live? Or is this the kind of situation where I'm going to reinforce that I'm a follower of Jesus to myself and the people around me? And what is someone like me? <laughs> a follower of Jesus or a goof-up? Someone who values integrity? Someone who does? What does someone like me do in a situation like this? When I'm tempted to make someone look bad by gossiping about them. No, no, nobody here has ever had that temptation, have you? When I'm tempted to gossip about somebody, what, what kind of person are you? Are you the kind of person that enjoys tearing other people down? Or are you the kind of person that enjoys building other people up? Are you the kind of person that looks for opportunities to be for somebody? Are you the kind of person that kind of likes to make themselves look better? What kind of situation is this? Is this a situation where I can make myself look good, or is this a situation where I can honor Christ? And what does someone like me do in a situation like this? You got a chance to be generous. Offering plate comes by, see somebody in town, or you know somebody that's having a really, really hard time. What kind of person are you? Are you the kind of person that just kind of holds it all in for yourself? Or are you the kind of person that says, everything I have belongs to God? 
and I want to take it and bless somebody else with it. What kind of situation is this? Is this a situation where this is a legitimate need that God has somebody that needs to meet that need? And what is someone like me? Do I, do I step in in this kind of situation? Is that what I'm like? What about when the alarm clock goes off in the morning? <laughs> Can I get an Amen. What kind of person am I? Am I the kind of person that gets up and spends time with God before I start my day? What kind of situation is this? Is this a situation where I, I can get up and have time with God? Or is this a situation I catch an extra 30 minutes of sleep? What does someone like me, here's the big question, what does someone like me do in a situation like this? Do I get up and spend time with God? Try to get to know God better, let God know how much I appreciate Him? Or do I hit the snooze? And get up just at the last second and run off to work. Or am I the private person who hits the snooze three times and then spends time with God? Can I get an amen? <laughs> you knew you was going to hit the snooze, so you said it so you could hit the snooze a couple of times. And then you get up and spend time with God. You're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off. Kind of, <laughs> was that an amen? <laughs> somebody cuts you, pulls out right in front of you. What kind of person are you? Are you the kind of person that will let a other driver steal the joy of the Lord from you? What kind of situation is this? Is this a situation for you to vent? <laughs> situation for you to take all that junk from your week and there's nobody in the car with you and you just kind of blow it all off <laughs> there by yourself? What does somebody like you do in a situation like this? Do you see this as a situation where you can pray for the person who pulled out in front of you? Lord Jesus, help them. They're going to kill somebody before they get home. <laughs> help them, Lord. I, I, somebody in our discipleship training class last week said he, he started rethinking about this thing. Instead of being road rage, it's prayer rage. And he doesn't mean rage, but instead of using this as road rage, I use this as a prayer time. Is, am I the kind of person that would give the other person the benefit of the doubt? Probably having a baby in that car. That's <laughs> getting to the hospital because their grandma's sick or something like that. What kind of person am I? Am I a believer? Am I disciplined? Am I a person of integrity? Am I a person who wants to honor Christ? And what kind of situation is this? How, how does a person who loves Jesus react in a situation like I'm facing right here? And you see, the goal, the goal is not just that you know, I get something right occasionally. The goal is not that I do a random act of kindness, but the goal is that I become a kind person. Uh, the goal is not that I, I, I pray occasionally. The goal, the idea is I become the kind of person who communicates with God regularly all through the day. The goal is not that I read my Bible sometimes. The goal is that I think about my life through the lens of Scripture. I made decisions through the lens of Scripture. The goal is not to go on a diet, but to be a healthy eater. You see, the, I'm now meddling now, right? <laughs> see, the goal is not to, to try to somehow, someway pray just for an, an appointment for, to share Jesus, but the goal is to be someone who's constantly looking for appointments to share Jesus. See, the, the goal is to have my identity. I'm the kind of person. God has made me the kind of person. God has put his spirit in me to become this kind of person as a new creation. I have a new heart now. <laughs> you really do if you're saved, right? I have new ambitions now. 
My ambition is to see the world come to Jesus as much as possible. I have new desires now. I want to love God. I want to see God magnified, glorified in my life, my family, the team, the church, whatever. I have new ways of relating to people and I have new ways of relating to sin. See, if you're a new creation in Jesus, you relate to sin differently. Not that you quit, but you can't enjoy it like you used to. Can I get a witness, somebody? Amen? It's not as fun because, see, if if you've given your heart and life to Jesus and realize that sin I'm contemplating, Jesus died for, how can I enjoy that? How, how can I just run into that? And, and when you think of yourself, this is the kind of person I am. I'm not a goof up. I'm not a mistake. I'm not unloved. I, I am a person who belongs. I am a person of new identity. Second thing I want you to see is the impact of our identity. The impact, that, that's the importance to learn to think of yourself. First of all, we think of God, God's character. Secondly, who God is making us to be. Now, let me ask you this. Who are you going to be in five years? Who is God making you to be in five years? And is the trajectory of your life right now moving you that direction? If not, you're stuck. <laughs> if, you're, if the trajectory of your family, the tra- trajectory of your relationship, the trajectory of your relationship with Christ is not moving the direction you want it to, and more importantly, God wants it to, what kind of adjustments do you need to make today? John chapter 8, 4, 44 to 45 Here's one of the reasons why we have so much trouble uh, thinking of ourselves the way God wants us to, thinking of God the way God wants us to. It's because there's a liar. You are of your father, Jesus talking to the Jewish leaders. You are of your father, the devil, the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning, does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources because he is a liar and the father of lies. Because I tell you the truth, you do not Believe me. Now, notice what he's saying. Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. Jesus is the truth. And so Satan is going to lie to you about God. We talk about this a lot. You know, you know that God doesn't really love you. God's not really for you. You can, just, you can figure it out better apart from God. That, that God is mean. Oh, God's holding out on you. But the other thing, Satan lies to you about yourself, your program. God, Satan tries to program your mind from the time you're born to think of yourself in a way that is a lie. He loves to attack your identity. You see, he loves to say every time you lose it with your kids, every time you, you know, you don't spend time with your kids like you should, he loves to say, you're just a horrible parent. Now, if you are, <laughs> repent <laughs> and ask God to help you be a better parent. But for a lot of y'all, it's not that you're a terrible parent. You made a mistake. It's not that you're, it's not that you're a terrible parent. It's not that you're messing your kids up. It's that you sinned. I, we, all, time to time, we're all sin. We need to repent of our sin. We need to apologize when we sin. But it's, he loves you to say, you're just a terrible parent. You'll always be stuck. You'll never be faithful in your quiet time. You'll never be faithful to church. You'll never be faithful to share your faith. You're always going to be stuck. Not necessarily. That's not true if you're following Jesus. If you're walking in the Spirit, that is a lie. He wants you to believe that. If you believe it, you will be, but you don't have to believe it. Always going to be addicted. You're terrible at praying. You're too shy to share your faith. You're too normal to have a good testimony. How many of you know if you got saved when you were eight years old and you never drifted into drugs and premarital sex and never been jailed and everything else and you're 50 now and you're still following Jesus, that's a really good testimony. 
That's a whole lot better than going to jail, doing all the other stuff. Too sound, too sinful to be used by God, too old to be used by God, too young to be used by God. Those things aren't true if you're saved. As I said, when you sin, repent. When you, when you offend somebody, apologize. But that's not the core identity of who you are. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So let me ask you something. Deep down, how do you see yourself? Growing up, I saw myself as shy and introverted. And that's how I acted, because how I saw myself. And um, at church, I was very shy and introverted at church. I, I talked to people at church, sat with my mom, or then when I got older, I sat with a teenager sat. And, um, and we were flipped, a teenager sat over here, and mom sat over here, over here uh, when I was growing up. But uh, anyway, sat with the teenagers, but... You know, I just certainly didn't welcome any visitors. You know, certainly didn't talk to anybody that looked like they were new, or I didn't greet anybody, things like that. Uh, of course, I wasn't saved until I was 17, but even after that, that I, I just, you know. But it changed when I was 22. When I was 22, I started standing at the back door, and I started greeting people. I started introducing myself to visitors and started talking to people. And, and I didn't have a personality change, but I had an identity change. <laughs> I became a pastor. <laughs> And uh, I thought, well, this is, I'm a pastor. This is what pastors do. And, and that was just, you know, that's not what my pastor did. My, I don't know about y'all, but the church I grew up in, it was a first Baptist church. And, and, um, and it, was, it was, you know, we run five, six, seven, seven hundred people on a Sunday morning, things like that. And they marched out like an army. <laughs> Whenever it's time for church to start, the choir filed in, and then the pastor and associate pastor, music director, and all the deacons that were going to take the offering, they all marched in like a little army, and, and we knew it was time to be quiet, and of course, we already knew it was time to be quiet, <laughs> so we all sat down and behaved ourselves, or get thumped on the head by our mamas and daddies, right? But for me, that, that changed, because I thought, man, people who come here, they need to know that God loves them, that I love them. That we want them to follow Jesus with all of their heart and soul and mind. Now, don't I get it right all the time? No, I don't get it right all the time. No, I don't get it right all the time. I, I see myself as a Christian husband who loves his wife and wants his wife to prosper, wants his wife to grow in Christ, wants to, wants to encourage his wife. And so this last uh, Wednesday, two Wednesdays ago, uh, I was going to be out of town on that morning, so I asked Laura to turn the air and stuff on for me. And uh, so I usually do that on Wednesday morning. So she came in, turned all the air and stuff on. So when I came in the, in the auditorium on Wednesday evening, it was warm in here. It was a little warmer than usual. So I went into the back, I checked the thermostats, and... Um, she had not turned one of them on. She turned one on, but not the other. So it was kind of, um, kind of halfway getting cooled down. And uh, she come walking down the hall, and I said, boy, it's just not as cool as I thought it was going to be. She said, did I make a mistake? Yeah, actually, you didn't turn the, the, the thermostat right. And I thought, who does that? Who points out right before she goes in to teach her class, who is so petty that they've got to bring that up? She's always got it right before one time, and I'm going to be petty and nitpicky, and I don't know, whatever. And, 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 so, and, and so I said, well, yeah, yeah, you actually, you did it wrong. And so she said, well, I'm sorry. And so I came in here. And you know what I first thought? Well, you're a jerk. <laughs> I first thought, what a horrible husband. You, you, man, you just ought to quit. You ought to just, man, you don't ever get it right. But here's the truth. I usually am fairly, I asked Laura if I could say this. I said, I'm usually kind. She said, you're very kind. I usually am kind. I'm usually considerate. Sometimes I mess up. That's not who you are. 
It's not your core identity. You got to look yourself and say, I'm not, you see, the devil loves to attack and distort your identity. You are not who the devil says you are. You're not who other people say you are. You are not exactly what that little voice in your head says you are. You are who God says you are. And if you will submit and surrender and follow, God will make something beautiful out of your life. Let me, um, see, this is who God says you are. How do you break the cycle? God says that you're a new creation in Christ. As I go through these real quick, I want you to think, of which one of these stands out to you? Which one of these do you need to hear? God says you're sought after. He seeks after you. You're precious in his sight. You're not condemned. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. You're forgiven in Christ. You're loved by Almighty God. You're accepted by Almighty God. You are a child of God. The Bible says you're a holy nation. The word means a treasured possession. You're complete in Christ. You are chosen an ambassador of the Most High God, God's masterpiece, and more than a conqueror in Jesus. So here's your weekly growth suggestion. Daily remind yourself of who God says you are. And that Satan is lying to you about your identity. Set your mind to say, I'm going to become who God made me to become. Because here's the thing. When you sin, you drink that, smoke that, say that, listen to that, watch that, you know, whatever it is that you do. When you sin, you feel guilty because the Holy Spirit convicts you. But you also feel out of sorts. You can tell something's not right in your spirit and your soul because here's the thing you're acting like somebody you're not god has made you god has put a, his spirit in you god is making you into something different and you have a new relationship with sin. you're not the person you used to be and so you can't enjoy those kind of things you got much better things that you can enjoy let me tell you a story we'll be done rachel ruth lots right is ann graham lots daughter ann graham lots is the daughter of billy graham and so this is Billy Graham's granddaughter. And uh, I read the other day where she was uh, writing about the fact that uh, she'd had two heart attacks uh, a while back, two heart attacks. And she said that uh, in the months after that, that her brother became such an example to her. He said her brother, she said her brother would come by and uh, just sit with her when she didn't ask him to. said her brother would come by and just show up with lunch or a chai tea. I think that's fancy for coffee. I'm not sure. <laughs> something like that. But anyway, she, it is what she liked. He'd show up with a chai tea or something like that that she really, really enjoyed. Just surprise her. And she said she, she tended to be cold. And said one day she was in her bedroom and she walked out and her brother was standing in front of the fireplace with her blanket holding it up to the fireplace to get it good and warmed up for her. So when she lay down, he laid that over there. She said, Jonathan has plunged my toilet, scrubbed my floors, changed my light bulbs, and even bought a weather strip for my drafty front door and applied it without being asked. I've never met anyone who enjoys serving more than Jonathan and does it with such humility. There's never a job too big or too menial for him. He continually anticipates, anticipates how he can be kind even to strangers. And here's the thing. She said, growing up, my dad repeatedly emphasized, your life is never about you. I wonder how Jonathan sees himself. I wonder if he, I, I just got to believe that Jonathan sees himself as a servant of God, as someone who serves Jesus by serving 
others. And he acts like the person that God is making him into be. Would you stand please with heads bowed and eyes closed? Heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. As we pray this morning, the final...